As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Until Saturday, the Athletics College Football Podcast feed. My name is Chris Vanini. We are here to talk about best case and worst case scenarios for the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC. If you want to know about the other conferences, those are earlier in your feed. I'm joined here in a moment by Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer, and Pete Sampson, uh, our longtime Notre Dame beat writer. Before we get into the podcast, wanted to let you know next week we will be getting back to our normal schedule of programming we will have stars matter we will have power hour we will have max and sam we will have uh the normal thursday preview the saturday recap show so get ready for a normal schedule coming out of this week make sure you subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you get podcasts and the youtube channel if you're watching it there as well everything will be regularly updated and also by the way we will have a mini series running beginning this Wednesday, four-part series about the Bishop Sycamore saga, if you remember that from last year. It's going to coincide with the HBO documentary series BS High, which is based on the athletics reporting. So keep an eye out uh, for that in the feed as well. Audrey, Pete, good to have you guys. It's week zero. Football's finally here. How are you guys doing? I'm good. You've got balloons behind you, Chris. So is it your birthday? It was, was it? My birth, it was my birthday a week ago and my wife's birthday a few days later. Those are from uh, uh, her office. We have a bunch of dogs in this house, so we threw the balloons into my office to keep them away because they like to bark at them. So if you're, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, there's a, I think it's Paw Patrol is one of the, one of the balloons wow. behind me. Oh, Chase's like, Chase on the case. I like it. Week zero balloons or something. So I thought you were celebrating early. Yeah, really. Like I should have balloons because I get to fly to Dublin uh, on Wednesday night. So that's I get I get the overnight from at the center of the week zero universe. And hopefully, at least for my sake, at least the result will be more relevant than it was for Northwestern and Nebraska last year. Have you have you made that trip before? I assume you've been over there. I right? did. Yeah, I went in 2012 when Notre Dame played there against Navy. I went on that trip. Um, yeah, I mean, Dublin's incredible. Like I. I was shocked about like what kind of turnout they had for the game. I thought maybe it would just sort of be something that was happening and people in Dublin wouldn't really know what was going on. But 
the city definitely got behind it. Um, you know, maybe Notre Dame has something to do with that. There's a bit of a bit of a connection there. So it's uh, it like definitely is kind of one of those things where Notre Dame they they turn out for this as if it was like the college football playoff. Um, it's it's kind of treated as a major bowl game for the Notre Dame fan base. Audrey, how excited are you for football? Very. Um, I, I think it's it's also nice to not be Pete and to be able to like get a get a few games in on the couch this weekend because uh, we just don't, you know we don't get that opportunity during the fall, right? It's like you're looking at it, and I'm trying to gear up for Penn State's Week One game against West Virginia, a night game out of the gate. So forget the sleep schedule after that; it'll be brutal. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited. But yeah, Pete's got the game that I think we all want to watch most this week. So that'll be that'll be nice to be able to catch that from the couch. All right, let's get into it. We're going to go contenders, kind of pretenders. We're going to go best case, worst case scenario for four or five teams in each of these three conferences, kind of what, how far can they go or what happens if things go wrong. We're going to start in the Big Ten. We're going to start with Michigan, the two-time defending Big Ten champions. My question, I guess, let me start off, Audrey. I'm curious what you think. Is Michigan at the point now where anything – but a CFP berth this year and maybe even a win is a disappointment. Is that what Michigan has gotten to now in these last two years? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like you had to, had to slay the dragon that is Ohio state. They've done that. Uh, You look at it this year, they are hands down the big Ten's best team. And this is a team. Yeah. Anything short of a playoff berth um, you say, okay, what was, what was the point of this year? Right. Um, They are at that point. And, it's also a compliment that we're saying that, right? Because I think a lot of times you say that in fan bases, or, oh, well, then why even play the games anyway? Blah, blah, blah. Well, when you get to that level, you're in that elite echelon. Uh, that's the goal, right? I mean, every team, of course, is going to say, oh, yeah, playoff or bust for us. But realistically, there are probably a handful, maybe maybe eight, nine teams uh, that can make that argument. And Michigan absolutely is one of those. Uh, I mean, gosh, Chris, look at those running backs. Like, how do you look at that and say, oh yeah, you know, they're just content to kind of float along. Um, and I feel like it's not a worst case scenario already, but you're not going to have your head coach for three games. And does that does that even matter when you, when you consider who they're playing? I don't think so. I, I don't think it matters against East Carolina and Bowling Green and I forgot who the other one was. Uh, but you gonna, yeah, they're going to call on you to be the be the guy. I don't, I don't think as of when we're recording this, I don't think they've named an interim yet. Um, they they have not, but but I'm curious with Michigan. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, I think, has said they could break Georgia's record for NFL draft picks. I mean, Jim Nagy with the Senior Bowl sees as many as seven draftable offensive linemen there. Um, this is might be the most talented team in the country by the end of the year when we're talking NFL draft next year. So ceiling feels like national championship. Obviously, I, I mean, I'm I, obviously they're feeling bad about that TCU game, the game they feel like they should have won, made too many mistakes. Uh, but Pete, when you look at Michigan, does it feel like national championship caliber type of team? It it does to me. Um, you know, as you sort of see the way the roster is put together, they've gotten older at quarterback and running back with, you know, you know, JJ McCarthy gives them something that other quarterbacks have not given them. And I, I have to give Harbaugh a ton of credit because, I mean, how many programs in the country would say, not making the playoff is a disaster um, like and mean it. And really, it, to me, it's just Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. And like the fact that Michigan has played their way into that kind of self-regard, which Michigan definitely has, like 
full credit to them for getting there because it, um, I think they're at the point where like you would have to, it's almost like you got to split hairs on like, if you made the playoff and lost a game, could that be a successful season? Well, maybe if it was like sort of a Georgia, Ohio state style of game, but that's kind of it. Like the, they really have a small margin for error this season to consider it a success. And it's, it's got to be in the playoff. And I think it's almost got to be winning a playoff game, if not losing sort of one of those classic type of semifinals that we don't get that often. Yeah. Now, now what's the worst case scenario for Michigan? What, what is the floor here? Is it 10 and two, you lose to Penn state, you lose to Ohio state, Audrey, you'll be covering the Penn state game. I mean, those three games, Michigan, Penn state, Ohio state playing against each other feel like they're probably going to determine the big 10. So worst case scenario, 10 and two, probably, and you, and you miss the playoff and you don't win the big 10 East. Audrey. No, that's, yeah. To me, that absolutely feels like it uh, feels like 10 and two would be a massive, massive letdown. Um, but yeah, the, the game with Penn state, that's the one that you kind of circle, especially if, if you're Penn state, that's your shot. Um, I've already got on the record with this. I think, Penn State goes 11-1, and one, and I think that one loss comes to Michigan, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Um, I think you just look at the way that they are able to run the ball. I mean, they absolutely manhandled this Penn State team last year, um, and Penn State's going to have one of the best defenses in the country, right? So you're coming to Happy Valley, um, but still, to me, that is like, if you lose that game, then I think you got to put everything into question. Uh, but... Ohio State's still coming to your place. So you, you do have that as well. But yeah, it's crazy to say. But yeah, 10 and 2 to me definitely sounds like a disappointment for Michigan. Now let's yeah, jump to. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that would just feel so empty and hollow for Michigan. Like, and considering how they were trying to get back to being a consistent 10 win team forever, at, um, I just, yeah, I think that would sort of leave a, just a very empty, hollow feeling in Ann Arbor. So let's jump to Ohio State which was one field goal away from playing for the national championship. Probably like they probably win the national championship. If they make that field goal against Georgia, that's how close they were. Instead you lose. And now the only thing we're talking about with Ohio state is you've lost two straight games to Michigan in pretty much blowout fashion. And you got to go to Ann Arbor this year. Ceiling, you know, best case scenario ceiling for Ohio State as it is every year, I assume, is national championship. I think we, we all agree on that. The floor is similar to Michigan, probably 10 and 2. You lose to you lose to Penn State, you lose to Michigan again. Quarterback situation replacing uh, uh replacing him doesn't work out. Audrey, when you, you have Penn State beating Ohio State, then mm-hmm. I mean, what do you make of the Buckeyes and best case, worst case right now? Well, here we are We're recording this on August 22nd and Ohio State has not announced who their quarterback is. <laughs> and Ryan Day said, you know, they're going to kind of let this go on as long as they need to. Well, to me, that's problematic, right? If you have two quarterbacks right now, you do not have one. Um, and to me, that's why I think other teams are within striking distance, that other team being Penn State, because you have that instability at quarterback. And that's not something that we've said about Ohio State, especially not under Ryan Day. Uh, you look at the guys that they've churned out now. Chris, with that being said, there is still a ton of talent on this roster. Um, you know, you don't overlook that. You don't overlook Marvin Harrison Jr. But to me, the fact that your most important position on the field, your most critical position is still up in the air here in late August, that tells me that either Kyle McCord's got to step it up or maybe he is not the guy. Uh, and to me, that's interesting because I think a lot of us, you go back, you look at his recruitment. Um, you know, he was at St. Joe's Prep, which is a, a Pennsylvania school. 
uh, that a lot of New Jersey guys go to. And everybody was looking at the Marvin Harrison, Kyle McCord uh, reunion at Ohio State. And I don't know if we're going to see that or not. But yeah, to me right now, it's like, okay, this unbeatable machine that has seemingly been Ohio State recently now is starting to look a little bit human. And that to me is really uh, what's, is what leaves the door open for a team like a Penn State. Now, well, Pete, that's like, for me, the, the game that I'm yeah. yeah most interested to cover for Notre Dame is when Ohio State comes here because it's, whether it's McCord or Brown, or whatever they do, a quarterback, okay, you're going to have a start at Indiana. Like Bloomington, is that like a, a true hostile road environment? Not really. Then Youngstown no, State, no. then Western Kentucky. Then you just drop into South Bend on a sort of primetime night game. Like that's, and in the same way, I, I felt like, Notre Dame did not have a realistic path to beat Ohio State last year. And this year, I, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like with Sam Hartman, they have a puncher's chance to take them down. And, you know, so that the worst case is suddenly becomes Notre Dame and Penn State and Michigan and the quarterback doesn't work out. Like, that's a much bigger, that's a much lower floor than I think what Michigan has. Um, you could see Ohio State for how much talent they have. Maybe things just get off to, like, you lose at Notre Dame, suddenly the When's the last time Ohio State was feeling like real season crisis pressure on October 1st? It's been a long, right. long time, but I think that might be how it would feel if they lost at Notre Dame at the end of September. It'd probably be 2011, the the, the year after the tattoo stuff, and they go 6-7 and seven and Luke Fickle's the interim head coach. The only bad season Ohio State has had for like half a century at, at this point. Um, Pete, that Ohio State-Notre Dame game last year was odd. I think if I recall correctly, Notre Dame was leading at halftime. Is that right? They were lit. I think on the Ohio State took the lead for good on the maybe the final play of the third quarter, and it felt like Notre. I mean, it felt like you were watching an NCAA tournament game between like a three seed and a thirteen seed, and like the thirteen seed is just like they're controlling pace. Like clearly, they're not as good as the as the you know the better seeded team. But um, I loved like Notre Dame's game plan, but like they had to concede. A, it was Tyler Buckner versus CJ Stroud at quarterback. Like that was a blowout. Um, now it's right. Sam Hartman versus a TBD quarterback for Ohio State. That's not. I mean, you could argue that Notre Dame will have the quarterback advantage in that game. I think pretty easily. And that's. It's been a while since Notre Dame's played a game like that and felt like they had the advantage of quarterback. And you always, if you're playing at home and you have the better quarterback, you've you've got a chance to win that game. Yeah, the reports out of Ohio State. Seem to be that coaches are split on McCord and Brown, but like in a positive way, like they've both played well. So we'll see. It's it's really that Notre Dame game when we'll find out and coaches and staffs can believe things until we see it on the field in the game. And neither of these guys have much game experience to lean back on. Now, let's jump over to Penn State. Audrey, I'm going to open the floor to you. You have written a story that this is the year Penn State has to do it. They have to beat some combination of Michigan, Ohio state. This is the best Penn state team we've seen in quite a while. So the floor is yours here. Tell me Penn state, best case, worst case. You're the expert on this. Best case scenario. They make the playoff. Um, Now that to me seems a year too early still. I think 2024, when you look at it with the expanded field with a roster that at that point is going to have a bunch of juniors on it. To me, that's like the more realistic year, but Hey, you said best case scenario, Chris. So I think that to me is, Hey, you know what? Would they get in at 11-1 and one if you keep it close with Michigan? Uh, to me, that's where whatever happens in that game, um, the margin there is going to be really significant. 
But I do think this is a team that beats Ohio State. You got to go to Columbus. And I think the interesting thing here now, I feel like, Chris, kind of the funny part to the Ohio State side of this is, okay, we could all be wrong, right? And Ohio State just continues to roll out another incredible quarterback, and we're all just sitting here saying, yeah, we should have seen it coming. But the other side of that is that Penn State has Drew Aller, the kid from Medina, Ohio, who grew up as an, as an Ohio State fan, who now all of a sudden, uh, Penn State has yet to officially name him the starter, but I mean, all intents and purposes, he's been the guy. He was Sean Clifford's backup last year when he burned his red shirt as a a freshman. Um, So you get Drew Aller, you get him in the horseshoe, you see what happens. Um, I think he's going to be really good. I think they also have a ton of talent around him. You look at their running backs. uh, To me, this is one of the best backfields in the country. I will default to Michigan and say that they are one, and Penn State is maybe two uh, with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. So these guys are going to be really good. You look at um, just what Penn State has compiled. Bruce Feldman's freaks list came out last week. Penn State has six guys on it. And Hmm. you look at that and you say, man, that's six guys, but there's so many other players in my head that I'm saying, yeah, this guy's going to do really well. You're talking about three potential first-round draft picks, uh, potentially the best offensive tackle in all all of college football with Penn State's left tackle. Uh, So this is a really, really good team. James Franklin's best team. But I say all of that, and I project 11-1, and one, but I say that with a team that we're saying, yeah, Drew Aller still hasn't started a game yet. Um, so that, to me, Chris, that's how I arrived at my 11-1. and one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Now, now what is, what if it, doesn't go well what if drew aller is not the guy or it takes them a while to get going what what is say they lose those two games again michigan ohio state is is there are there other spots where they could trip up or is is 10 and 2 feel like the floor 
Iowa comes here for the whiteout game. So you have that, which I, again, the, the whiteout is, is a different beast. So, so you say that. Uh, to me, the trap game is going to Illinois because you get the weird start time. It's like that 11 o'clock central start. Um, you know, I mean, Chris, I still have horrible flashbacks of the nine overtime, watching them up and down the field and like, oh my gosh, this game will never end. Horrible um, flashbacks. That was yeah. an instant classic. Yeah, I, well, I'm sitting there like, come on, man. What do we got to do? I actually had friends in town that weekend. I was trying to get out of the game as fast as possible. So, of course, we got nine overtimes. Um, but, yeah, I think you kind of you look at it and you say, okay, Penn State, historically under James Franklin, it's the snowball effect. They lose one game, then they have that slip up where you say, okay, you get that Illinois nine overtime loss like they've had before. Um, I think if you're them, 10 and 2 yet again, you say this is a disappointment because at some point enough's enough, right? Like at some point you have to get into that upper echelon, which to me, it feels like where Michigan was at a few years ago, right? It was, can they beat Ohio State? Can they get into that elite level? And they've done that where for Penn State, they've had really good, really successful seasons, but they just haven't been able to get to that next level. Uh, So yeah, for me, I mean, Again, this is all projecting on a young quarterback. Um, you know, you're only ever one injury away. Penn State's backup quarterback to Drew Aller, uh, presumably, again, once he's named, uh, would be Bo Prabula, who also has not started a game. He enrolled at the same time as Aller. So you've got a lot of uncertainty there at the quarterback position, but you've also got a ton of talent on this roster. So kind of how you marry that to me is is the question. And they get West Virginia out of the gate. So it's not like you're really easing into things. Um, You you know, it's a night game. You're going to get the NBC rollout. So Beaver Stadium at night, it'll be rocking, I'm sure. Uh, But again, this is not like we're just really stepping into this. Pete, what do you think about Big Ten on NBC? I've seen a lot of the commercials. Pretty good song. They got the Fallout Boy song. Uh, Pretty good rollout as someone who is a uh, Notre Dame guy around the NBC. What do, what do you think about Big Ten NBC? I, I mean, I know Notre Dame loves it because um, they feel like they were sort of on, a, on an island for the longest time where there was the only property NBC had. So I I think it will be a good sort of marriage between, you know, Notre Dame games and Big Ten games happening there. And, you know, sometimes you get Ohio State at Notre Dame, which is both. Um, so it's, you know, eventually Notre Dame at USC will be essentially a Big Ten slash non-conference game. So I, I think it's a good match. Um, I like that. I like Todd Blackledge, just like his style of announcing. So yeah. I think he'll be a good a team hire for them. Um, you know, cause that's, I think for Notre Dame fans, they're like, they wanted NBC to consist more or invest more consistently in their broadcasting crew. I mean, there was a while when Mike Tirico was calling the games, which is incredible, but, yeah. um, it, uh, I, I think Blackledge and Eagle will be, will be very good as sort of feeling like it's a, it's a big deal when NBC is broadcasting your game. Audrey, I wanted to ask you about um, Ari Wasserman's Penn State take, which uh, we got into a little thing on Twitter about it. He's not here to defend himself, to be fair. Um, you told you told Ari and me to get some air because we were going after this. Is a, it's a take he's had for a while, which was that Penn State should have started Drew Aller last year, gone through all the ups and downs, so he would be seasoned and ready coming into this season when you can make a four-team college football playoff. They go on with Sean Clifford. They win the Rose Bowl. It's a great year. I'm of the belief of, like, there's a lot you can take out of what they did, winning the Rose Bowl, beating Utah on the big stage, that helps those young guys, those young running backs, in year two. Not to say Drew Aller couldn't have done it, but 
I don't know. Where do you fall on this this whole thing that Ari? It's an interesting opinion. The idea that not that you're sacri- but you're you're kind of sacrificing the potential of one year to focus on the next year. Yeah, it felt like you were kind of punting on the season if you would have done that. I mean, the thing is, Aller still had, I want to say, like 60 pass attempts last year. So it's not like he was there holding a clipboard all year and never played. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you you do have that. Um, I understand Ari's point, but where I think it veers off course, and I'm imagining him fuming as I say, say this somewhere walking around, but I think where it gets off course is, Penn State knew exactly what it was going to do when it said to Sean Clifford, we want you back for year six. Because at that point, it did not matter. Like, you knew you were getting Drew Aller there that January, but he was not going to be your guy. They were dedicated to running this thing back with Sean Clifford. Um, And I'll tell you, this is where I do side with Ari that I thought that was the wrong decision when they did that. Um, I thought, you know what, you've seen everything that you've seen out of Sean Clifford. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. Uh, and it was. I mean, it ended on the highest possible note. But there were a lot, a lot of rough patches in between there. You know, you look at that Purdue game that they lost, but then almost won because of Sean Clifford. Um, it was just the full experience. But to me, like, it was just never a viable option because they wanted to have a sixth-year quarterback come back to be the guy. Now... If you're sitting here at this point and say they didn't do that and Sean Clifford was never here last year, right? He would have gone on, done whatever, right? Probably wouldn't be a Green Bay Packer right now, um, which is a whole other whole other end, end, end and angle of this thing for me. Um, but if, if this never happens, I do think you're sitting here right now and saying, okay, we know exactly what we have. Um, you feel a little bit better about that. But I think, Chris, where you side is you see a 10-win season and a Rose Bowl as a successful season. I think most fans, or a good number of fans, feel you on that regard, right? They think that's a great season, it's a successful season, where I feel like Ari's thing has always been it's national championship or bust, right? And I think that's where we get these two conflicting things, where I would say, you know what, 10-2 10-2 and two for the team that they had with all the strides and growth they showed with an otherwise young roster when you take away the sixth-year quarterback. Um, I think that's where you say it was a good season. Keeping Sean Clifford was the right call. Um, but I, I get Ari's argument, but I just think it's it's tough to say, hey, you're going to almost punt on a season um, and go with the freshman quarterback who got here months prior You know That's tough to do. And I think you kind of look at the other side of that as well and say, you know what? What if Drew Aller struggles last year, right? We saw that with, with Christian Hackenberg. You throw him in there as yes. a true freshman, his whole career derails. Like, to me, that's the other side of this. Yes. Um, and that's where I think it's easy to say, oh, yeah, Drew could have done that. They would have been great. And, and maybe Ari's right on that. But I think you have to say long term, um, I mean, gosh, I'm still thinking back to Kyron Hackenberg when he gets sacked left and right. And you get the, the highly coveted guy who just doesn't pan out for whatever reason. Um, I, I do think that's part of it. So I think they played it well. I mean, obviously hindsight, I think you take last year um, more times than not, but absolutely for Penn State this year, you have to get one of those two marquee opponents. You got to beat either Ohio State or Michigan. Um, but yeah, I, I think Drew Aller's going to be special. I think he's a really good, really talented quarterback. Uh, I will go as far, Chris, as to say that I think by the end of this season, he's going to be among the five best quarterbacks in college football. Wow. 
That's some high praise for Drew Aller, a guy Ari also really much believes in. So we'll see if they figure that out uh, quickly. Let's let's wrap up the Big Ten here with the West Division, looking at two teams, Wisconsin, Iowa. I think Wisconsin might be the most interesting team in the country. To go from, to basically say, look, winning 10 games a year and winning division championships is not enough. We have to be more into hire Luke Fickle, who took a group of five team to the playoff. And to have Phil Longo come in, bring in three, I think three transfer quarterbacks added. Tanner Mordecai can air it out. Uh, they still got Braylon Allen at running back. Like, there's a chance if this all clicks for Wisconsin, I could see like an, ele- an 11 and one type of season, regular season, maybe win the Big Ten, maybe make the playoff. Like, that's how high I think the ceiling is. The floor is much lower, maybe seven and five. The coaching changes causes problems. Tanner Mordecai throws a bunch of interceptions like he did at SMU. So high floor, I'm sorry, kind of low floor, high ceiling for Wisconsin with this change. Pete, I'm kind of curious what you think of Wisconsin. I mean, I I love Luke Fickle. You know, in a different world, he's Notre Dame's head coach right now. Um, But timing is what it was. I I don't think the the ceiling is quite as high as you with you know what they have coming back so but west champs sure uh college football playoff that would my my brain would explode on that one you know <laughs> cj williams the transfer from usc i'm very curious to sort of see how he shakes out there I, you know didn't really get on the field but was a big time prospect i could see the floor you know being seven and five though based on it's i'm not saying there this is like georgia tech going from paul johnson uh, you know, and getting rid of the triple option and, and rebuild, but it's Wisconsin had a, an MO and, a, and an identity and uh, what Longo is going to do offensively is totally different. So I'm with you. I think Wisconsin is one of the most interesting teams in the country. I think the what's reasonable expectation, it's probably like a five win swing, which I don't think we would say that for a lot of different teams. So I'm, right. I'm fascinated by them, but I wouldn't, I would not place a bet one way or the other on whatever their over-under uh, win total is. Audrey, what do you think about Wisconsin? I should know what the over-under win total is, Pete, because I did a story on that. <laughs> That's posting this week on The Athletic. Um, but what I will say is I was just sitting over here. I was pulling up their schedule uh, while Pete was talking, and they get Ohio State this year at the end of October. Um, when we go back, we said Ohio State, the floor, the ceiling, uh, sneaky good game. Uh, to me, that's going to be really interesting because you want to see what that measuring stick is. I'm with you guys. I think like Luke Fickle was a slam dunk hire. Uh, you look at it, to me, it's like, okay, they just felt so stale, right? Like you just started to watch Wisconsin and like your eyes would start to kind of glaze over and you're like, oh my gosh, this team's putting me to sleep. Um, but I'm excited about them. And I think you look at it too it's always going to be built around running the ball and they're going to run the ball really well. You got one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, But to me, I'm really curious what Tanner Mordecai does. You look at what he was able to do at SMU, um, just a tremendous pickup. You look at using the transfer portal to retool your roster and to do it quickly. That's something that I feel like they've been able to do. Um, There it is. Cam's going with the eight and a half, our producer that over under eight and a half um, Mm. for for MGM. So I said over uh, in our story. So some free advice from yours truly on that one. I, I do believe in them. But yeah, Chris, I think you are way off base if you think they're making the playoff. I think you've been hanging with Ari too much if you think that's true. Uh, but I do very well see this team being one that can win the West. Because let's be honest, right? Like 
can Iowa really push them? Do you, either of you guys believe that? I, I, mean, I mean, don't you think yeah. Iowa is just like such a fully functional program except for the offense? Like, But like, you know what you're getting there at least, whereas Wisconsin is just like, who the heck knows what they're going to be? So I could... I could see Iowa getting them this year, and that might be the that might be the last time Iowa gets Wisconsin for a while. And so, like they like for all the jokes we make about Iowa, they have won at least eight games, like ev- like since twenty fifteen. They've won at least eight games every year, except mm-hmm. for twenty twenty COVID year. They go six and two. Like this is a for 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 all the jokes about the offense. This was not Stanford, you know, which was winning three games and completely fell apart. This is still a good program that will win eight, nine games in a given year. As we look at that, obviously we're going to talk about the race to 25 points per game and Brian Ferentz keeping his job. I mean, the best case scenario is that Brian Ferentz keeps his job and in, in a way that is uh, obvious in a way that they score 30 something points per game. Caden McNamara fits and, and, and they take care of the, the things on that schedule. The worst case scenario for Iowa is that Brian Ferentz keeps his job just barely over the threshold. That is that that is the problem and the interest about having twenty five points per game, you know, going to a, a bowl game and stuff like that. Having these requirements could easily see Iowa average exactly twenty five points per game and go seven and five. And then, like, if you're Iowa, like, you're stuck, you know, at that point. So it's 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 a weird spot with them. It's a high floor for Iowa. It has to be because they're always pretty solid. But I am also curious, kind of these gambling issues. Um, we should be finding out pretty soon here kind of the number of players suspended we've seen at over at Iowa state number of starters are out or have left the team because of this. We don't know yet at Iowa what that fallout will be. So, I mean, like floor for me is probably like a seven to five type of year again, unless there's some suspensions we don't know about, but um, could also see them winning the West. If it doesn't work out for Wisconsin. I sort of like their ceiling is nine and three. Their floor is nine and three. Their best case scenario is they actually finish with 324 points. And their be- <laughs> worst case scenario is they finish with 325. And Brian Ferentz yeah. is back. Like, I think Scott Docterman was on the show. He may tell us off air that the best case scenario is they're forced to make a change at offensive coordinator, but they still win nine games. Yeah, that's probably it. That's probably the best case scenario right there. You win nine games but you don't score 25 points per game and you can make a change at offense coordinator, I guess. So Audrey, any other, any other thoughts on uh, Iowa in in the big 10? No, I mean, I just think obviously the, the whole scoring the points per game thing is going to be such a sideshow this year. Uh, How excited are you guys or not excited? Are you? Cause that storyline is going to be beaten to death, but it's going to be a lot of fun, but also like Iowa, what in the world were you thinking making that public? Like to me, that's one of those things behind closed doors say, Hey man, this is what you got to do to keep your job. But to put that in a contract in writing, um, it's why the sport is the best because it's just complete chaos. So I look forward to seeing like who creatively tracks this, right? Because there's no way they're going to do something in the stadium for it. But you guys both know damn well fans are going to be all over this. Can you imagine like a ticker in the stadium? I mean, I just keep wondering like uh, those non-conference games, if you're blowing a team out, like do you run up the score? Yeah. Just yeah. for the sake of I, your son's job, yeah, I, mean, I still contend I like special teams and defensive points should not count. But sounds like they're gonna I, they're I, gonna lump that in. I agree. This team had I forgot I tracked how many defensive touchdowns and special teams. It was ridiculous last year. Almost as I think they had more than passing touchdowns total. All righty, Audrey. Thanks for joining us. It'll be me and Pete here uh, taking it the rest of the way. 
We're going to jump into the Big 12, which is the most uh, top to bottom, probably the toughest Power 5 league to figure out, I think. Um, Kansas State won it last year. TCU played in the national championship game. You know, like, who saw any of that coming? But we're going to start, we have to start with Texas. Is Texas back? I know listeners are probably sick and tired of hearing hearing about this. And once, if they lose to Alabama in week two, you probably don't have to anymore. But it just, it feels like this has to be the year for Texas. All the pieces are there. Quinn Ewers should take a good step forward. He's healthy. He was solid when he was healthy last year. The offensive line has grown into place. The defense should be able to make some more plays. This is the year for Texas to win the Big 12. It's the last possible year. And I know Ari's, uh, Ari was thinking um, playoff for them. Manny in our oddly specific predictions episode said Texas gets the number two seed, I think, in the CFP. So they are high on the Longhorns. I think it's possible. But I think it's going to be really difficult in a Big 12 that week in and week out, you could lose any, you could lose to anybody in this conference in a given week. I think it will be the most Texas thing ever when they beat Alabama, but then lose to Houston later in the year. It that will be the ultimate Texas back, not back storyline. It because it's like Alabama is there; they are very vulnerable right now. If you sort of read some of our coverage on the Athletic about the quarterback situation down there, it's not it's not going as they expected. Um, no, you know, for Tommy Reese, so that's. That makes Alabama very vulnerable to Texas. and But the rest of the season, it's such a funky schedule. You know, so you, you look through Big Fed's schedules, it looks like they're playing non-conference games in the middle of the conference slate, but then you forget actually BYU and Houston are in the conference now. Um, it's, it's really a weird year there. And if any team is going to feel like they got jobbed on the road by the officiating crew, it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma. They're going to get no favors the rest of the way. I don't know if the league will allow either of them to win the conference championship on their way there's, out. There's going to be horns down everywhere and the refs are just going to oh, let it go. Yeah. The refs will be doing horns down at some point. So <laughs> it, um, I just, I can't, I think that they will probably be a top 10 team at some point in September after they beat Alabama. And then, probably still end up finishing nine and three. Um, and you're feeling a little bit hollow there at the end. My biggest concern with Texas is that the recent history of Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and 10 years, nine years as a head coach has never won more than eight games in the regular season. He's only won more than eight games once. And it was first year at USC. He goes nine and four and they win the holiday bowl. But when he was at Washington, he was seven wins Sark. That was the nickname. Yeah. He goes five and seven, seven and six, seven and six, seven and six, eight and four. And then he gets the USC job, gets fired uh, after a three and two start and obviously some off the field issues in 2015. So like we've never seen Steve Sarkeesian take a team really overachieve. We've never seen him overachieve as a head coach. And that's kind of what Texas is going to need to do in a very difficult conference. I, I think floor, you're thinking maybe like, Again, like eight and four, seven to five doesn't work for Quinn Ewers. He gets benched. Arch Manning or Malik Murphy, it doesn't work either. The defense gives up a lot. Um, that would be my concern with Texas. Yeah, it's they they have not been sort of killers on the line of scrimmage for a long time down there. I mean, it's felt like a very sort of finesse offense, a finesse program, frankly. 
like that looks good and the NILs are great, but it's just like, it's very pretty down there. And I think to, you can get Alabama one time with sort of playing that, that style. But I think to, to grind away through an entire schedule, you're going to have to get much tougher on the lines than Texas has been. So that, that's, that stops you from, I think the number two seed in the college football playoff, but it does make you very dangerous, uh, in a one-off against Alabama that has a lot of quarterback issues to sort out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's jump over to Oklahoma. I was at the 49 to nothing Red River shootout last year when Oklahoma didn't have a quarterback and Texas blew him out of the water. It feels like Oklahoma is a team that could be primed for a bounce back year after going six and seven because they lost so many one score games because they had so many quarterback injuries. I think if Dylan Gabriel stays healthy and the defense makes the improvement you would think you're, you're thinking maybe 10 and two type of year floor. It doesn't work out. They play SMU week two. Could be a sneaky game there. That's a pay-per-view only game for Oklahoma. Like if SMU has things figured out, maybe they surprise them. The defense is an issue and and, and they continue to lose one score games. But um, I don't know. Like I did not expect Oklahoma to be in this position with Brent Venables as head coach kind of at one year out from the SEC. They've been recruiting better, but one year in things have only gotten worse. So Oklahoma has to have a, has to have a big bounce back year. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of there should be a lot of pressure on Venables, not in like in a hot seat way or anything, but just right. that that debut season was not something I saw coming. Like as a first time head coach, I not that he was a sure thing, but he was kind of close to it. Um at a program that had just won consistently over and over again and to, I I'll be curious to sort of like see what he how he reinvents himself. It's like the Dylan Gabriel injury obviously was big. Um, you know, Jackson Arnold, a freshman quarterback. Uh, you know, you talk to coaches around college football. Some will tell you it, he was actually the number one overall prospect um, at that position. Can he give you something if you need it? Um, you're right. I think they're recruiting really well down there. Um, I think they're recruiting as if they're about to join a new league. But right. um, I, in some ways, I feel like I, despite the – Venable's year one blip. I'm almost more confident that Oklahoma will hit its ceiling than Texas is. Yeah, I mean they've been the most consistent team in the league for a while, outside of one bad year. I mean Oklahoma in general, you go back like 50 years, outside of a brief blip in the 90s, they just they don't stay down. They never stay down. Texas's history is at a lower level than what Oklahoma's has been. So we'll see if history 
plays out that way again. Let's jump to, you know, the team that played for the national championship last year, TCU. What kind of encore do we get from the Horn Frogs? They lose Max Duggan. They lose Kendra Miller. They lose Quentin Johnson. They lose a lot of skill guys. Now, we could have never predicted a run to the national championship for TCU. So like anything feels possible, but I think big 12 champion is a reasonable ceiling for them again, because one, they've done it, but two Chandler Morris taking over a quarterback there. He won the job last year out of camp. He beat Max Duggan as a starting quarterback. He just got hurt in the first game. Max Duggan comes in and becomes a Heisman runner up. But even during the season, Oh, TCU coaches would say like, Look, Chandler Morris has been better in practice, but Max Duggan's just doing what he's doing during games. We can't not play him. So I think if Chandler Morris uh, plays to the potential that that he could, they're able to, to find pieces at running back or receiver and they continue uh, that development, could have another big year championship type of year. Yeah, and I think they will sort of have, I don't want to say artificially inflated, but they start with Colorado. We're all going to be watching that for reasons that don't have much to do with TCU. Uh, and I think TCU will probably roll them. But it's like their last three games are Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma. Like that's that's legit at the end. Um, yeah. And you think about, I mean, one of the iconic images to me of last season was Max Duggan, like essentially almost expiring in the end zone of the Big 12 championship game. Like yeah. they rode him and they rode him hard. And like it's most usually can't win that way because usually you almost never have players like that. Um, you never have them twice in a row at the same position. So it, I, I feel like there's definitely a regression coming for TCU. Yeah. If everything went right, maybe you're 10 and two and sneaking into the big 12 championship game, but it feels like they're much more of like, you're back to historical norms here where look, eight, eight and four is that's solid. Like, that's that's not a, a disappointment. Maybe it is yeah. the year after going to the college football playoff, but I think that would still be a really good season for them. Yeah, I, I, low floor. I mean, six and six, maybe something like that. Because you know, when Sunny Dykes lost Jared Goff at Cal, you know they plummeted again the next year. So yeah, that's a good point. we'll see what what happens there. Their schedule will be favorable. They don't really have any tough games until those final three. They those final four actually or five. Kansas State, Texas Tech, Texas Baylor, Oklahoma to close the season. So they will have time to kind of get it all together. Let's talk about the team that actually won the Big 12 last year, Kansas State. Got to replace Deuce Vaughn and some receivers. They've got Keegan Johnson from Iowa who, who transferred in. Ceiling, again, I mean, like, I think five or six teams in this conference could win the Big 12. Um, I, I don't see Kansas State making the playoff, but I could see another Big 12 championship if Will Howard plays like he did in the second half of last season and the, the, the other pieces fill in. This is a team that's, kind of like Iowa, always going to be consistently solid. It just, do you get enough on offense to have a big year or do you not? Uh, so ceiling Big 12 champs, floor, again, could be something like six and six. You lose, they've got Troy and Missouri in the non-conference. Those could be sneaky, difficult games. Maybe Will Howard regresses. So anywhere from six and six to Big 12 champs, I think it's possible. Yeah, I would I would say so. Six and six would surprise me just because, I, you know, their coaching staff, I think, is probably one of the the most underrated in the country like I, the yeah. job that they do there is outstanding so it, i to backslide all the way to 6 and 6 would shock me um but you know kind of the 8 and 4 9 and 3 like toward the uh, if you just said all right Texas and Kansas State one off 
who are you putting your money on? Like I would put it on Kansas State just based on the way the program is run and who's coaching it. So um, I have a hard time seeing them going all the way back to the pack. But um, yeah, that was they're just a really well-run program. I think that's obvious to anybody who watches their games. Kansas State was the dark horse for everybody last year in the Big 12. And we kind of forgot about that when TCU went on the run that they went on. But Kansas State did end up winning the Big 12. This year's dark horse that everybody's everybody's dark horse for the Big 12, Texas Tech. Program that had a really solid first year under Joey McGuire. Tyler Shuck is back and healthy at quarterback. I think the ceiling is, again, like Big Ten, Big 12 championship. Probably not a. I don't. I don't see a playoff coming out of this. But uh, Tyler Shuck, who returns to form, he had uh, eight touchdowns, one interception in those final four games. They were four and zero to close the year. I think that's best case scenario. Worst case, you lose to Oregon week two. You you lose to Texas, maybe TCU, maybe Shuck gets hurt again. Probably like a seven and five again type of floor. So very similar with a lot of these teams. But Texas Tech is the dark horse for everybody. What do you think of the Red Raiders? I'm I'm more in the floor camp here. Like I I don't think that they have the depth up and down the roster, and you sort of see the way their their recruiting classes get picked apart late by yeah. you know bigger schools that come in and sort of take their commits. Like that's been going on for a long time, and it it just it, I think it stops you from hitting the ceiling that you've got, whether it be eleven and one or ten and two or competing for the Big Twelve championship. But Texas Tech, I mean, historically that program kind of one night in Lubbock, they can get you. Um, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if they had a, a, a great moment or two this season, but I don't think that they're going to be a program that we're going to talk about as like a in the conversation for the Big 12 much past you know mid-late October. I mean, one night in Lubbock, Oregon, week two is coming. Though. That Week two is so weird because... Maybe that's Alabama, the night, yeah. Alabama, Texas is going to get all the attention that week, but Oregon going to Lubbock... 6 p.m. game is going to be fascinating. I'm going to try to get out there. I don't know if I can, but the rest of the schedule early on is somewhat favorable. But again, in this conference, you know, like West Virginia beat Oklahoma last year, like anything can happen. So Big 12 is Big 12 is going to be one of the most interesting conferences in the country, I think, because of that. I think I think you're thinking like high ceiling, low floor for a lot of these schools. And again, they played for the national championship last year on a team that didn't go to a bowl game the year before. So I think it just kind of goes to show what happens in this conference. Let's finish up with the ACC, which is part of the reason that you're here, even though Notre Dame is mostly a member of the ACC, just not in football. Clemson, Notre Dame's got Clemson this year. It's a team that obviously expects to make the playoff every year right now. Kate Klubnik, you know, takes over last year, plays okay, not a great, Orange Bowl, they bring in um, Garrett Riley from TCU to be the offense coordinator. I think ceiling for Clemson is obviously you you make it back to the playoff and maybe win a game. And Klubnik and Riley click. You get Florida State, Notre Dame, and uh, UNC all at home. I, I think there's it's very easy to see that again. The floor is probably, again, like a 10-2, and two, like kind of like which, what they did last year. You lose to Florida State and maybe Notre Dame, but you still play for the ACC championship. Um, Pete, as, as someone Notre Dame's going to play Clemson this year, what do you think? Yeah, it's. I feel like I'm of all Notre Dame's games. I feel like the one at Clemson is the most their most difficult. Um, you know, yeah. in part because of the way Notre Dame put it on them last year, which I I do wonder if sort of like this aura of invincibility was punctured 
at Clemson last year, and it's it's just hard to put that back together. Um, I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw Clemson just get manhandled against a team that I think Drew Pine finished the game with like 80 yards passing. Like it was not, they weren't even trying to challenge them through the air, which Sam Hartman earlier in the year did just fine. Um, So it, I wonder if something is just a little bit off at Clemson. Um, Garrett Riley is, you know, part of putting it back together. But I, I think defensively, they ju- they just have taken a big step back and they lost a ton from last year's team. So it's, I feel like the floor is below 10 and two because um, you're going to have Florida State, Notre Dame, North Carolina, and the ACC title, the way that the, the conference has changed now. We're getting away, like you can have Clemson, Florida State part two. And right. so, so that is another floor because I, I don't think in the past we would ever think Clemson, even a, a bad Clemson team, they're going to win the ACC title based on the the opponent um, more than themselves. So, you know, twelve and zero feels like kind of a reach with a first year quarterback and a first year coordinator. So, I, I would say ceiling maybe is more eleven and one, and floor is, I guess, ten and three um, with a right. with an ACC title game loss as part of it. Right now that the ACC doesn't have divisions. Florida State and Clemson, they're not competing for the same division championship, and whoever wins that wins the division. They can play a second time. I, I think that that's what gives Clemson and Florida State an extra bump is that they can lose that game and still win the championship. So it, that plays into things. And to your point, last year, Sam Hartman against Clemson, 20 for 29, 337 yards, six touchdowns in a 51 to 45 double overtime loss. So yeah, Clemson uh we've seen can be taken apart in the passing game tennessee did it too in the orange bowl so that is a, a major concern and they've just clemson has just lacked the explosiveness of wide receiver that they've had for a number of years before that florida state is this the year that they're kind of the trendy playoff pick acc championship pick um mike norvell has built that team over the last couple of years into a very prominent program. Jordan Travis could be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Jared Verse, one of the best pass rushers in the country. Um, Florida State, Pete, what do you make of the Knowles? Do you believe the hype? Is this is this the year Florida State is back? Or is, it, or, or is the fact that they have LSU week one and Clemson a few weeks later, is that going to put a damper on things pretty quickly? I, actually, I, I like Florida State to make the playoff. Um, mm. I think they're going to put it together this year. And I think that they could lose to LSU and still do it because I think LSU yeah. may also make the playoff. So I don't think that losing to LSU in a competitive, perhaps less comical game than last year will will hurt them in a major way. So I, I like Jordan Travis a lot. He has played a ton of football. Um, I like Jared Verse off the edge. I just, you know, they've got good skill position guys. Um, I think that, Clemson is vulnerable, even though they have to go there. Um, yeah, I floor would be high, Yeah, floor is clearly you lose to LSU, you lose to Clemson, maybe you lose to Clemson again in the ACC championship game to go ten and three or, or worse. Yeah. But I like I like Florida State as like a legit playoff contender um, that they when it when it's championship weekend, I think they'll have a chance to play their way in. Um, that's I think the kind of season that they're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I visited them last spring after two not great seasons under Norvell, but he was just very confident in what they were building. Their hit rate on transfers is like ridiculous. Like they were telling me last spring, like 
like Jared Verse is going to be one of the best pass rushers in the country. Like we know this. And that was when he was coming from FCS Albany. And now they've got a top five recruiting class set right now. Like they're, they're hitting their stride here. I just wonder if you lose a week one game to, to LSU, how you bounce back from that and get ready for Clemson on the road, you know, and, and then, you know, you have that mulligan kind of, again, with the ACC situation. I could easily see a spot where maybe they lose those first two games, but they win out and then win the ACC, you know, like or or they lose and then Clemson's a different team by the end of the year. I, I think that's going to be fascinating if the ACC potentially knocks itself out of a playoff spot if Florida State and Clemson are so good if they beat each other once or, or, or something like that. Um, so that, that'll be the, the key for Florida State. You have them in the playoff. I have them number six or seven, I think in my preseason one thirty. So they are, it's going to be really interesting. If, if Florida state is really back, we'll find out week one. That is easily the most interesting game of the week. One of the most interesting non-conference games of the season outside of those two, who I think are the heavy favorites, obviously to play for the ACC. What about NC state? It's a Ooh, program I mean, been, it's been consistent, but it has not really even gotten close to breaking through. No, and that's, I mean, NC State is is the moment in Notre Dame season where you're going to know, like, is Notre Dame good? Because um, I think when they go to NC State yeah. at noon, it's week, it's their third game, but week two. Um, that's going to be a, a pretty good litmus test for Notre Dame, whether you feel like, okay, you have you have what it takes to, to get Ohio State a couple weeks later. You know, Brennan Armstrong is such an enigma to me. Um, I remember covering Notre Dame at Virginia two years ago when Robert and I was still the offensive coordinator. Armstrong had a rib injury, and it just it changed the entire game. Um, statistically, just what he was able to do in Anai's offense was just incredible. Um, yeah. You know, Anai's at Syracuse last year. Um, did some good things with Garrett Schrader, but he got hurt. Um, I don't. I don't really know what to expect from NC State there. They're like a much less interesting Wisconsin, um, but similar in the sense of like I could I could see ten and two, I could see six and six. I I don't really know. I they're I think that they're a, they have an entire season of wild card games. Nine the last nine years for NC State under Dave Doran, they have won between seven and nine games, eight times. They had <laughs> one four and eight season in there, but other than that, you're either. Seven wins or to nine wins. They have two top 25 finishes. They have always been solidly consistent, but never really that close to breaking through and winning the ACC. And Robert and I, like you mentioned, to me, one of the most intriguing hires of all coordinators because Brendan Armstrong passed for almost 4,500 yards <laughs> in 2021 when, when they were at Virginia. And then last year he's he's beat up and Virginia is a mess and he's out. So you reunite you reunite the two of them there. I I, I don't want to say the ceiling is anything like I, I I think the ceiling's like nine wins because that's just what the ceiling seems to be at NC State. And the floor is probably seven wins because that's what it always seems to be at NC State. Can they beat a Notre Dame or a Clemson again? Maybe we'll see. But you, like you said, it's kind of they've been almost boringly consistent. You kind of want to see a breakthrough type of of season like even if armstrong doesn't quite click they're probably winning seven games the schedule is pretty favorable it just comes down to those big games that they never seem to quite get north carolina team that uh, overachieves when we're when we're down on them and they underachieve when we're 
thinking highly of them. They're, I think, a preseason top 25 team right now. Drake May, obviously a NFL top prospect at quarterback. They add Devontae Walker, Kent State receiver. They got a couple of weapons there. This feels like another team could be a big year, could be a dud year. Like, could be a 10-win season, could be a 6-win season. You think Drake May's talented enough to get them to, to a big year, but I think Sam Howell was too, and we saw how Sam Howell's last year went. Yeah, there's no, like, Drake May is outstanding. I love watching him live last year when Notre Dame went down there, but it's like all the other parts just didn't really fit together, and I, I don't know why they would fit together any differently this year. It's just not a... It's a it's a team with like elite quarterback play and you know it's it's finesse like but they don't they don't own it on the lines the way that you need to to be a consistent winner and it, that's not going to change um, just because Drake May is still there so it's I feel like that they're they're going to be a very underwhelming sort of seven and five eight and four I, I don't see them having the material to to hit a ceiling of eleven and one or be a contender for the ACC title. Um, I just, they're just not built that way. Um, the way that the roster has been put together. New offensive coordinator as well. Chip Lindsay comes in from UCF, former Troy head coach. UCF was pretty good offensively last year, but they had some duds. They lost to Navy. Not the most inspiring hire. I think when you have potentially the number one or number two NFL draft pick at quarterback, let's wrap up ACC with, they won't come. They obviously won't win the ACC, but Notre Dame. Pete, you're the expert on Notre Dame. Obviously, you have been uh, covering this team forever. And is Sam let me ask, is, is Sam Hartman the real deal? Is is he the answer to the offensive problems they've had the last couple of years? Is he the missing piece for Notre Dame to get back into playoff conversation? Yeah, I think playoff conversation for sure. Um, but he, you know, if if they could have also taken At Perry as a grad transfer, then I then I might feel quite a bit differently about what a Notre Dame ceiling actually is because their their receiver position just hasn't developed the way that they needed to. But I think Hartman sort of ensures you're not going to have a Marshall Stanford type of game again because he's he's too talented um, to do that. Um, what they need him to do is not have a at Louisville game like he did last year where just like the wheels come off a little bit. Um, and in theory, Notre Dame should not be asking its quarterback to do what Wake Forest asks its quarterback to do in terms of carrying the entire offense. But Hartman, I, I think, has been outstanding in camp. Um, you really don't hear anything from watching, like talking to coaches or watching practice that makes you think that he will stumble or stutter uh, in his one year here. And it's just a matter of like, can they get pass rush from the end position? Can they develop a receiver or two um, to be a number one option opposed to having a, a roster of number twos and number threes? Um, but yeah, ceiling ceiling would be 11 and one. Um, I, I think that their best case is, to me, I view it as like, if you go to Clemson in week, I think it's their ninth game or their 10th game. If you go to Clemson, you're an eight and one. You're in the playoff conversation at that point. And then you yeah. sort of like you roll the dice with whatever happens that night. Um, that would be a good season to me. Um, bad season or if the floor, you only get one of the three big games. And then you, Marcus Freeman hasn't figured out the Brian Kelly formula to beat every half decent team you play with regularity <laughs> and you lose a, a Louisville or an NC State or Pittsburgh. Um, 
Duke, I guess, like Notre Dame has to get back to sort of sweeping aside the teams that um, they're clearly more talented than. Brian Kelly did that. He didn't. He never had a Clemson game like last year where you just blew a great team off the field like that. But um, Marcus Freeman's chore in year two is like, how do I get a more consistent performance week after week? If you do, that will take care of everyone in the ACC not named Clemson. And then you get Ohio State and USC at home, Clemson on the road. You know, can you get two of those three? That would be, that's the ceiling for me. What a bizarre, I was just looking back through Notre Dame's schedule. What a bizarre season last year. You, they <laughs> Tell lo- me they about lose, it, yeah. They lose to Marshall. <laughs> they lose to Stanford. They uh, almost blow a big lead against Navy, but they whip Clemson, number four Clemson. They beat Syracuse on the road. Uh, they beat South Carolina in the bowl game and they win nine yeah, games. Like, you think if you've got a court, if you think you have better quarterback play, you just don't lose the Marshall and Stanford games. That's the 10 win like regular season right there or something like that. Yeah. Is, it's is, like, is I mean, it they, that simple? They played, but it's like they played great at North Carolina and, you know, they, they got BYU pretty good, um, which were yeah. not great teams, but good teams. Um, it was, it was just a really bizarre season where I don't, I don't think Marcus Freeman sort of had kind of the, he figured out how to calm the waters a little bit, but I think early in the year they put so much into that Ohio State game for program reasons and probably personal reasons for for Freeman having played there. Um, they didn't recover from that well. Uh, they were they were clearly a team that got better as the year went on, but it just never it never felt like they were maximizing who they were until Clemson showed up, and then they just blew them out of the stadium. Um, you wonder it's like, all right, do you have a little bit of a formula there, like? Losing to Caleb Williams and USC, like there's no shame in that. Um, but um, it took a while for Notre Dame to feel like a little bit more like, do I trust them every week? Beginning of the year, you didn't. I thought by the end of the season, you sort of did. Um, so yeah. it was it was a really weird year, no doubt. Yeah. And last hit on the ACC here, Miami, best case scenario, I think, is they score a touchdown against Virginia this year. I don't. I'm pretty sure Middle Tennessee State's not on the schedule, right? You don't. So. You don't lose to Middle Tennessee. Look, that Virginia game, fourteen to twelve in four overtimes. They didn't score. T- it was all field goals and two point conversions. It was on Bally Sports on some weird off channel that uh, yeah you had to find. We'll see with Miami. Uh, we'll see if Tyler Van Dyke is better. We'll see if the coordinator changes help things. But uh, I, I don't see them in contention for the ACC. Now, just did- don't. Im- Embarrass yourself like you did last year. I just like I want as someone who loves college football and has for a long time. Like I want Miami to be like, oh, you're playing Miami, not like Rick, Miami. Like we would when 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 Mark Richt was there and they beat Notre Dame. Oh, you, I was there. I mean, game? that was insane. Like and that like yeah. Miami was a big deal. The turnover chain and like that was it, they, they were, were a national story. They were number two in the country that year. I think it, was, it might have been after Notre Dame, but right out, right around. Yeah, there, and, and then, then they they end up losing to Pitt, which I th- yep. I think might have been like Kenny Pickett's first game or something. And it's um, it was like I'm not saying they need to be that relevant, but come on, be like top twenty, top twenty five consistently. That's at least give me a nine and three season, uh, Miami. Yeah. And it's just like they they were uh, light years away from that last fall. I was in Gainesville last week visiting Florida and I turned on the TV in the hotel and on uh, might've been ESPN two. They were doing 30 for thirties and the U part two came up and I was like, man, 2001 Miami, that was a team. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it is like, it is fun when, when Miami's 
good in, in doing things. So it's also kind of wild to look back at that Nevin Shapiro scandal and see things like, oh man, players are getting a little bit of money from somebody is like <laughs> tearing down the program. Go back and watch, go back and watch the U part two and and the things that Miami was that whole mess of it in Miami investigation where the incident was paying the lawyer of Nevin Shapiro so he could like sit in on these interviews. It was insane for like most of that stuff was just like players getting money. Like there were some other not great things, obviously, but like that was the high point of, all right, things are out of control here with terms of what the instability is investigating and how it's going about it. And it's a very different world now. So we'll see if Miami uh, can ever get back to that. Uh, Pete, any last thoughts on, on the ACC and the conference that Notre Dame is technically not a part of? Yeah. They're never, never to join. Uh, I am. I'm glad that the ACC finally is go- doing away with divisions. Like, I, you know, it's when you look at TV ratings for the ACC championship game and you're just like, what, like you're, you're killing yourself here. um, It's never a game. It's never a game you got to see. No, and it's the only time it was, was when the ACC championship game was Clemson versus Notre Dame. And I think it did 10 million. And that was like, I I hope someone at the ACC was like, why are we, why are we doing this to ourselves? Like, why don't, why don't we put Clemson or Florida State on again in part two? Um, it's, It's a league that, should have much more stature than it does. Like it's it's not a league where Florida you you want your your one of your preeminent brands to be like just complaining and pissing and moaning about TV rights deals. Cause it's like it's a it's a good league with some good tradition and some good brands and it just it's got to figure out a way to be more relevant than it than it has nationally. Hope and I think Florida State, Miami can be part of that. Um you know, if NC State gets Notre Dame, NC State can be part of that. Um, but that's it's a weird it's a weird league. I think that um, it should it should have a higher, I guess, approval rating from its own members than it does. Let me get you out of here on this. I wrote a column last week that stand uh, that the ACC should add Stanford and Cal. Notre Dame is a school that has been in favor of that. Florida State is not. Clemson is not. North Carolina, UNC are not. Where do you fall on uh, whether or not uh, whether whether or not they should add them, and whether or not Notre Dame should kind of have a role in determining that? Well, if I was the ACC, I would tell like Notre Dame, like we will gladly take Stanford and Cal if you join as a full member, um, and then then we'll see how much support Notre Dame actually has for Stanford and Cal because I, I think that <laughs> that's that's where you hit the limit of that. Um, I think you know. Stanford and Cal are very much ACC schools. They happen to be on the West Coast. Um, right. If geography exactly. doesn't matter anymore and college athletics is telling us that it doesn't, then it then it would make sense. Um, I still look at maps and see how far away those schools are from those other schools. It, it doesn't add up to me, um, but either I guess you're either sort of expanding or contracting at this point. Um, it might be wise for the ACC to pick up two Power Five programs with one elite athletic department, but neither have any sort of football tradition to speak of. So I think it, it makes sense for the ACC to do, but I say that begrudgingly because I don't, I wish that it didn't. Actually, as I was writing that story, I learned one, someone around the situation told me Notre Dame getting to Stanford and Cal is actually quicker than getting to Blacksburg. Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, just because of, so like there's different ways to play into it. And actually, Stanford and Cal are also part of the America East. They are uh affiliate members in I don't remember in uh look in what are the sports? Field hockey. 
They're in the America Eastern field hockey. So they're already traveling. We'll see. There was an ACC meeting that was scheduled for Tuesday that was canceled. A normal meeting. Who knows? With no timeline on whether or not that's going to happen. But we will see what happens with the ACC. That is best case, worst case scenario for the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC. We've now gone through all five Power Five conferences and the group of five. And we are wrapping up our preseason content here on the Until Saturday feed. Reminder, next week we'll be back to our normal schedule. I will be here with Nicole Auerbach for Power Hour. Max and Sam will have a show. Ari and David Ubbin will have uh, Saturday recaps, Thursday previews, and stuff like that. So uh, we're, we're wrapping this up. We thank you all for listening. Make sure you're following the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, as well as the YouTube channel. Please give us five-star reviews and Drop any questions you have in there as well. We'll read them on the show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will be going live every Thursday and Saturday and Sunday throughout the season. Looking forward to getting in the full swing of things. Pete, appreciate you having me. Everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, you can't spell until Saturday without us. And we will catch you in the next one.